After winning numerous awards as a singer-songwriter, including two ASCAP Achievement Awards, Susan Ruth's career was on the precipice of a big launch. As happens too often in the music industry, the opportunity was squandered by factors outside of her control, and for a while she contemplated giving up on her dream. Instead, she moved from Seattle to Nashville to become a professional songwriter, where she's written songs for artists like Reba McIntyre and Lone Star, not to mention licensing music for film and TV. But like so many creatives, Susan isn't content to be just one thing. And thousands of songs later, her passions have expanded as she's branched out into abstract painting, improv, sketch comedy at the Second City, and not to mention her award-winning podcast, Hey Human. In this interview, you'll hear Susan share about her journey and the common threads that run between all of her pursuits as a full-time independent creative. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. This podcast episode is sponsored by me. I'm Ethan Freckleton, a mindset coach for author entrepreneurs. I help author entrepreneurs to achieve a sustainable, flexible, profitable business without all the burnout and overwhelm. Learn more by visiting ethanfreckleton.com forward slash mindset. Before we begin, I'd like to welcome author Cameron Coral to the Storyteller Mentorship Club. Thank you so much for supporting the Fearless Storyteller podcast on Patreon at the highest tier. Cameron Coral writes science fiction and is the author of the Rogue Spark series, the Cyborg Guardian Chronicles, and the most excellent Rusted Wasteland series. Learn more by visiting Cameron Coral. Dot com, C-A-M-E-R-O-N-C-O-R-A-L dot com. Hey, human podcast host, Susan Ruth here with the Fearless Storyteller. That's me. That's you. That's, yeah, that's us. And so for people who may not know who you are, what would you like to share about yourself? That's the canned question. All right. My name is Susan Ruth. I hail originally from Seattle, spent... 13 years in Nashville, Tennessee as a professional songwriter. I still write songs. Uh, and I have a podcast called Hey Human Podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm a, uh, let's see what else. I'm an abstract painter, uh, a writer, and I just finished the conservatory program through level five at the Second City Hollywood. That's amazing. And, uh, what does that mean? What is that? Yeah, okay. So you, there's a level there. So what does that mean? The conservatory program, you audition for the conservatory, you go through three audition processes through the entirety of the program. And it's it's improv and sketch comedy and sketch comedy writing. Those sound like great skills. And, Absolutely. And it's a blast. It sounds intimidating to have levels. 
Uh, I, I will not lie. I was very nervous to audition, having no real experience, not, nothing tangible. I did take a one through three improv course, a, a fast track, if you will, at the Second City. And one of my teachers in that said, hey, you should audition for the conservatory. And I said, okay. So there we mm. are. Yeah. Mm. And, and then they, they, there's another audition again after level three. That sounds stressful. <laughs> yeah. And then after you are, you graduate from the conservatory one through five, then there's something called the grad review where you write and perform uh, an hour sketch wow. show. And that also requires an audition. But my cohorts and I decided that we would wait until we were post Zoom performance and could do it in person again because mm. the last two levels of the conservatory that I was involved in were everything was done on Zoom. Yeah. Which is so, a great skill. But it is. So okay. So it wasn't something you had a background in. What possessed you to do that? The devil. <laughs> um, <laughs> my my brother, my older brother, uh, has been doing improv for a very long time, and he was historically quite shy. Mm. And uh, the I I watched him blossom. I know it's a weird thing to say about an older sibling, but he certainly blossomed from the improv. And I would see him do some performances here and there. Mm. And it, it was so much fun to watch. And mm. it was interesting. I was in Nashville, uh, and this would have been now, this is kind of a long story, about a year and a half ago, I guess. I was in Nashville, and I woke up one morning, and I thought, man, I wonder if Nashville has an improv group, because mm. that looks like so much fun, and I sure wish I could do that. I should figure out how to do that. And I'm not kidding, within a couple hours, my brother called me on the phone out of the blue mm. and said, hey, there's this really famous improv teacher coming to Seattle. His name is David Rosowski, mm. and he's part of the Second City. And uh, he, he had been part of the Second City. He's on his own now. But, uh, and he's teaching this weekend course. If I get this for you for your birthday, would you be willing to fly back to Seattle and, and take it with me? And I mm. said, absolutely. So that began my journey. I, was, mm. it, I had a blast. I loved doing it with my brother. And so that really set me on the path of that. That's cool. I, I've taken a couple improv classes, like at different times. And I, I remember it was really fun. And it is intimidating in the sense of, it's really a presencing exercise and that can be jarring coming from the flow of just the ordinary day into the environment. Like it takes a lot of energy to slow down and yet be that actively aware. It's a, you have to be present. It requires listening and it requires a partnership and being willing to say, I'm here for you instead of I'm here for myself. There's all those things working in tandem with each yeah, other. Yeah. And like, I imagine so for, fun. I imagine for, and it's fun. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm stuck on that. Cause like on the one hand, if you come into that with those skills already with those skills, some of those that self work done, those foundations, I imagine it becomes like it shifts into something like that probably feels more natural is a fit, but I'm sure many people who go into it haven't developed those skills and it might be an invitation or it might be like this cultural acclimatization to those concepts. 
Well, one could argue that, that life is improv in a constant motion, right? We're constant. I mean, did I, neither of us knew what we were going to say here and yeah. we were saying it. So yeah. it's sort of all the same. Yeah. And there's like, but there's a shift in life as a metaphor that there's metaphor. There's like two ways you could approach it. There's with the, with the, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to shut you down. Here's my idea. Let's do my thing versus a yes. And mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you gain from, from this? I mean, besides having fun and learning a bunch of cool skills and maybe having an emerging career in, comedy i don't know <laughs> one of the things i love about performing improv is beside it being a, a, a high wire act mm. is that there's an impermanence to it once it's done it's done you're never mm. going to do that again and so to be to walk away from that without obsessing over what just happened because it doesn't matter it, 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 it was its own thing. Now it doesn't exist anymore. And you can move forward. And I love that. And I, I love the idea of really being present to another person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it really improved that skill in me as well. I mean, the podcast helps, obviously, you know, because you interview people and mm -hmm. uh, there's, it's not dissimilar. <laughs> yeah. So what's, for you, you've had this journey of like, creativity and you kind of fall in this bucket of does lots of stuff yeah right and like what's the common thread between being a songwriter and a painter and improv and podcast host and those things uh, truth with a capital t mm. across the board that is what uh, links all of it together is it a search for truth or it's I think in part it's a search for truth. Otherwise I wouldn't ask people so many questions, mm. <laughs> but I think it's a willingness to be in truth with a capital T. Mm. Now I know that in some cases truth is subjective, but there are, uh, there are undeniable truths as well. Yeah. So what's okay. So willingness to be in truth suggests a diff discomfort with being in truth. I think for some people it's very, I've, yes, I think that for some people it's very uncomfortable to be in truth, whether they're in the presence of it mm -hmm. and, or whether they are feeling it within themselves. I believe that is, in my opinion, why there is so much outward angst and anger and frustration and turmoil is because it's so much easier to point a finger than to go inward and, and touch the truth of oneself. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be a difficult place to be. It can be uncomfortable or joyful. I would imagine both like things anything. are, are yeah. possible. Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes it's both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're still writing songs too. Yeah. Yeah. And you still paint. All the time. I so, do all the, all the things all the time. <laughs> okay. So how does this, how does this work? Like in terms of, I think about a lot, cause I like to do a lot of things, but you know, I tend to tie those up with I'm self-employed. Right. And so if I'm doing all the things at the same time, it can fuel the creative energy of that, but I may not have that much time or capacity. Like, 
right, to move things forward. And sometimes I have to be selective about, well, really, I can only work with intention on this one thing where it's never going to get done. Right. And like, what's your relationship with, with that kind of goal oriented creating? For me, I see it all as the same spokes on on a vehicle that's all moving forward or mm -hmm. spokes on the wheel on the vehicle that's all moving forward mm -hmm. uh, it all feeds into itself uh, I liken it a lot to um, to remember the carnivals when we were kids mm -hmm. we uh, there, there's the box and there's all the quarters in it and you have the little doohickey that feeds into that machine and you put your quarter in and you're hoping that it hits just the right spot and then it'll push all the coins yeah, over yeah. Yeah, that's that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> I am that game, whatever that game is called. That's me. <laughs> so you're the vehicle for that game. So where do you get I, your I'm where the, do you I'm where do you get game. your quarters? Yeah, I'm the game. I'm the quarters. I'm the vehicle. You know, mm. I'm the person playing the game. I'm all the things. All at so once. So feeding into itself. That that yeah. metaphor you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And when when I paint a painting it's informing me as much as when I'm writing a song, as much as when I'm talking with somebody in the podcast uh, or right. writing, because I, I wouldn't be able to write what I write if I wasn't paying attention to all these other things going on. Mm -hmm. all, yeah. all, we, all we are are storytellers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a painting is telling a story. I want it. You, you would be the first person who could speak to this that I've had on the show. So I definitely want to hear your thoughts about that. About being a storyteller? Yeah. And painting and the relationship to painting too. Like how does painting tell a story? Or how is that? When relevant? I'm painting, again, this is personal experience. Uh, when I am painting, I don't have a plan in mind. Mm. Now, if somebody is saying, I want a painting from you that resembles a thing that you've painted before, then I have an idea of sort of a way to go. Mm -hmm. But when I'm painting, I don't say, today I'm going to paint this, this, and this. I just start painting. Yeah. Because I know the story will evolve as I go, much like in songwriting. Mm. And in fact, I think even songwriting is a little bit more controlled because in songwriting, most times, not every time, but most times I, I say, oh, I have an idea and mm -hmm. I'm writing to the idea. In mm -hmm. painting, I just have a whole bunch of paint <laughs> and I'm going to see what happens. Uh, and when the painting is, I find the process of painting really intriguing because if I paint to music, mm. it shapes it. If I paint a television program or if I'm listening to an audible, it shapes it. Mm. And, and I have noticed that it, certain colors come out depending on the mood of whatever it is i'm mm -hmm. doing it's not intentional i'm just my psyche yeah. is you know my subconscious is saying oh that makes sense here when i am painting there often are times where i'm hating everything i see oh this is terrible this is terrible this is nothing this is crap and then all of a sudden i see it and i think oh my god i I see it now. There's the story. It's coming out. And then I work to the story that, mm. that arises. And yet, I suppose when I name a painting, I then provide a story. However, as a person looking at the art, I don't have any expectation on them. Mm -hmm. For me, it's whatever they interpret. Same with music. If, mm -hmm. if, if they see a painting and... <laughs> 
I had a I had a, a experience once where I was painting while people were playing music, and I was set to the side and painting, and people were walking by, listening to music, looking at me paint, and it was fascinating because the adults would stop and say, "Oh, that looks like war, or that looks like pain, or that's so dramatic, or that's so this, or that's so that." And the little kids would wander by and say, I see a pony, I see a unicorn, I see a popsicle. Mm -hmm. We bring ourselves to everything. Mm -hmm. I bring myself to the painting I'm painting. There's just no way around it. It's inescapable. But the person viewing the painting after the fact, after its creation, they're seeing it through their own experience, their own lens. And I don't get in the way of that. I just, uh, at art shows, I'll stand there and I'll listen. I'll sneak up behind people and I'll be like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> you know? I jokingly, I think about like being an author and stalking people as they browse in a bookstore. Just go, hmm, yes, yes. Are yeah. they going to pick it up? Are they going to pick it up? Well, it's fascinating. I get that vibe from art shows, though, if I'm honest. And it puts me out a little bit when I go to like art things because I feel like there's somebody hovering there waiting for me to have a reaction. Do you feel that it's a judgy reaction? As if No, it feels kind of desperate. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, like engage with my thing, like it, you know. Oh, for me, it's more a curiosity in that mm. I, I want to hear all the different perspectives. There, it's that gr- life is gray. The yeah. black and white does not exist to me. Yeah, that's a cool way to engage with it. Yeah. I, I don't, who knows? It's, uh, it's fascinating to see how people take in something. Hmm. And myself included. I'll go look at a piece of art and, and think, huh? Or I'll think, holy crap, that's amazing. Or this makes me feel this. Or it reminds me of that. I mean, I don't know any more than the next person, so. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like whatever mood is present with you, whether you are channeling something in or just bringing it yourself, you embrace that and you roll with that. I would say, yes, that would be accurate. Yeah. Do you have like a tangible example of like how a story unfolded for you while you were painting? I mean... (laughs) It truly happens every time. I just finished a painting that I started and midway through hated with every fiber of my being and thought it was garbage. And then it turned a corner and I started to see the things in it and it started to tell me a story. Mm. And then my job is to let the piece tell me the story and I help the story come to life. I don't mm. I know that's anthropomorph- <laughs> anthropomorphizing, a, you know, a, this object, but, but it does to me, it tells, tells me something. It says, mm. I want this to be happening or this mood is happening, or there are people saying these things in our streets or whatever it is. Yeah. People show up a lot. I, you know, I'm an abstract painter, but people, ideas of people show up a lot in my paintings and I often wonder, uh, are they existing in their own time and place? Are they the voices in my head? Are they my angels, my better mm. angels? Mm. Who knows? Yeah. Do you feel like you're capturing a moment when you're painting or a place? Or, yes. Yeah. All the things. It just depends, really. Yeah. I have paintings that some people really like that I think are terrible. I have painted over paintings before. 
yeah it's interesting mm-hmm. and i i wasn't trained i i am the last person to say i'm any kind of expert i know when i see something that i like but and i think i have an understanding on a I don't know if it's intuitive level or what of how colors work or don't work together mm-hmm. where light and dark play off each other. <laughs> so you've developed, you've developed taste around it. These are things you notice in the world as you're passing through them. Just by default of being a human being in the world. I think there are certain things that are implanted in your brain that are subconscious. You know, the sky is up, the earth is down, you know, that, you understand how light plays with color, things like that. But I don't know that you are actively involved in that thought process while you are working. I'm sure some painters are, especially those that went to art school. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this earlier in the idea again, because somebody, I was having a conversation with somebody like maybe went to the grocery store and they're talking about how they love to sing, but they're not a singer. And, you know, they don't have that natural born talent for it. And, you know, I was like, oh, you just like, you just touched my, like one of my, yeah, like I'm sensitive to that, right? Like, because we use this word craft sometimes or, you know, or being present or whatever it is, but like whatever you have taste in, I imagine you kind of have natural tools available to you by virtue of being human <laughs> and yeah. existing right sure in addition to having things to study or people to teach you i didn't know i was a painter until i started painting i had no yeah. idea i again didn't go to school for anything like that i just woke up one day and said i think i'll start painting and so i did and that's my challenge to everyone and i say it to people all the time when they say oh i i probably can't do that you don't know until you try. You might as well try. What have you got to lose? Yeah. Songwriting for fun, mm. what does it matter? Now, if you're crafting for a particular audience, then again, the word craft comes in. It makes more sense. You are telling a story succinctly, hopefully, uh, to get it. If you want to get it on the radio or to an artist, uh, yeah. if you're writing for yourself, then write whatever moves you because you're the one that is performing it yeah and so you're you're clearly in like if you're talking in music business terms or creative business terms like you're an artist i, I get that sense from you and i put out records so yes I have yeah and yeah but you strike me as having a high degree of awareness and connectedness to how the business functions and I I made certain assumptions about you talking about when you talk about moving to Nashville and writing and being a songwriter in Nashville I assume that you absorb this culture right and this institutional knowledge Nashville is a school unto itself as a as a songwriter there I believe is no better place that I've experienced to to become a song crafter other than maybe Sweden. Cause I spent 10 days in Sweden writing and whew, they really know what they're doing as well. Mm-hmm. That's not to say other places don't, but the craft of songwriting is so, so revered in Nashville mm-hmm. that it's a masterclass in and of itself. 
just more analogous to going to Second City and taking these classes, right? Or UCB or the Groundlings. Yeah, for sure. And you, I, I can hear a song and maybe not like the song, but mm-hmm. I can appreciate the craft of the song. I know a song that has been crafted well. Mm-hmm. It may not be my cup of tea, but I can... I can acknowledge like, wow, that's a really well-written song. Yeah. And you probably have inherent like genres or ways of of songwriting that appeal to you. As we all do. Yeah. For you, what is that? Like what? I honestly love all music. I really do. I grew up, my, my brothers are so much older than I am. My parents are way older than I am and which goes without saying obviously, but they're extra older. I was the accidental baby. And so the house I grew up in was rife with so many genre and era and and so that was wonderful as far as a musical education and there was at some point an acknowledgement that the music I like in this moment has a grandmother and a grandfather and it has an ancestor and so I began a journey of going backwards Mm. to hear what inspired the people that inspired me Mm mm-hmm yeah, and what has that journey been like of music? Because I see, like, so I I like to explore the intersections of, like, mindset and our journeys as it links to success, whatever that means. But for for a lot of people I talk to, success is, is being able to have the time and resourcing to create, right, and tell stories. And a lot of times that means plugging into a business, right, of then marketing and understanding how to reach an audience, right, have value. And I get the sense from the things that I've seen that you've gone through that journey and probably have some strong feelings about that journey. My idea of what success is, was different way back when I began mm-hmm. the musical journey. Uh, I believe in my heart of hearts that success is a tricky mistress and we humans tend to move the goalpost on ourselves as mm-hmm. to what success means. And mm. sometimes I have very little patience for reveling in a beautiful moment because we're constantly looking past that moment to see what might be coming next. And that is also what others cast upon us as well. Great, great, great. This is great, great, great. What's coming next? What's coming yes. next? Yeah, yeah. This is a great torture to our, our artistic selves, our spiritual selves. Our, the psyche can be easily thwarted and made to feel less than in a world that is constantly moving the goalposts. I, I use that, I know, mm-hmm. uh, repeatedly, but I, I do think that that is the case. So one of the things that was a really beautiful moment for me is to not look to what others have done. The comparison is killer. Mm-hmm. I'm not Lady Gaga, but you know what? Yeah. Lady Gaga isn't me. Yeah. And do you you speak that from like personal experience of of yeah. doing that and of course yeah and we don't know what the path will be we can try our hardest to to go a certain direction but 
we cannot control the tempest going on around us. It will do what it does. And I do believe that success is a combination of uh, talent and opportunity and perseverance mm-hmm. that, that getting up after falling down, my God, yeah. you know, yeah. and that, that saying is a cliche about getting up one more time than you fall down, but it's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the things I appreciate, you know, I, one of the things I appreciate about the Nashville songwriting culture is they teach you that from the beginning, like that it is a, it's a, it's a failure and journey driven process, right? Like of. But everything is. Yeah. But we don't, you know, a lot of people, we don't go in going, Oh, I'm going to do this journey because it's going to be hard and I'm going to fail a whole bunch and it's going to take me years and hundreds of songs or whatever it is to reach my idea of success. If we know that, right. I do think people have an expectation these days, not all people, but many people because of things like reality TV that, that have spent hours taking, you know, 200 hours of material and cut it down to one hour. And let's just say the 200 hours equal, I don't know, days or or months or years of how long somebody works to, to be an overnight success. Yeah. It takes a lot of work and it, <laughs> unfortunately you will see a lot of failure, but that's okay yeah. because, you know, my, I think it was my brother Jeremy said to me once that the thing about perfection, the thing about being perfect at something means that you have nowhere to go. Yeah. And if we came out of the gate perfect at everything, and let's be honest, who gets to be perfect in anything anyway? There is no such thing. That how boring a it would be, and what would you ever have to strive for? Yeah, you wouldn't. And it's what shapes us. Our, our falling downs are what shapes us. The scars yeah. I have from knocking into things, or you know, crashing <laughs> my bike, or whatever they they make up who I am. And I would argue that the falling down parts make the standing up parts that much more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's poetic. Yeah. I completely destroyed that metaphor, but you get the Uh, idea. I I don't know that everybody takes the opportunity to get that far in the journey though. Like for me, like in my own personal journey, I can't speak for other people, you know, because my parents didn't drive me to be a perfectionist. Right. And so for me, boredom was the path, right? Like everything that I engaged with was kind of easy, maybe, right? And so boredom shaped my path. I didn't really have drive to even fail at things. I didn't have opportunity to fail at things because I, I don't know. But when I started to engage with that, right, then it's like, okay, well, if I go take this class, if I join this association and go to this conference and take the workshops, then like, instantly I'm going to be there. Right. You know? And so when you moved to Nashville, like what was that decision? Like when you went from Seattle, what was that? What was that about? First of all, moving from Seattle to Nashville. I had completed a third record. I was very proud of, uh, according to all of the reviews and all the powerful people that knew things. I was on the precipice of greatness. Hmm. Somebody, uh, absconded with a huge amount of the budget for that was in my project for 
uh, promoting it and it stopped yeah. the project on a dime. And uh, yeah. yeah, and that I had a PR budget once and let me tell you, that's not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> you can make was, a lot of records with a PR budget. It was a lot of money and yeah. it was taken and then I was uh, screwed. So that was a terrible moment. And it required a lot of resetting and all the things you think you are and all the things you think are supposed to happen mm. when they stop on a dime like that, not from your own doing, but at the hand of someone else. Yeah. There's a cruelty to that that is so deep. And it's like a it, worldview change, I imagine. It makes you question everything for yeah. sure. And so I was in the depths of that. And a friend of mine said, were you just going to give up everything? And my response was, I guess I thought I was supposed to be all these things. And that's obviously not going to happen. I can't afford to promote this record. I can't mm. afford to go anywhere. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Yeah. I owe all these people money and I have this beautiful product that I can't really do anything with. And this was pre, you know, the Spotify's and all that. Yeah. 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 I was, I was a puppy and uh, she said to me, well, that's crazy. You should, you should keep writing. You're a great writer. And I said, mm. what's the point? I mean, I was feeling sorry for my, yeah, well, we put a lot of pressure when we start on, on the first thing or on that one thing, right? Yeah, it's everything. Absolutely. I've done that. Yeah. And I was in, I mean, I was in the, the gate, the bell was about to go off yeah. and I was about to be let out of the gate and just have that moment. Mm. So anyway, I, I said, well, okay. She said, I have this friend in Nashville who's a writer and works at Curb Records and is really wonderful. His name is RJ Meacham. Mm. You, uh, you should write with him. And I said, well, okay, fine. So I went to Nashville, wrote with RJ, kept going back and forth from Seattle to Nashville over the course of a year. And eventually RJ said, you know, you're a good writer. You should, what if you get to, you should move here. Mm. And and he said, there's a lot of opportunity here to learn and all that. And I figured, why not? So there I went and I stayed there 13 years. And when I got there, I realized, well, you know, I was a big fish in a small pond in Seattle. I had a lot of successes and things were really going well, but I knew enough to know that when I got there, the level that I had, had the level that was there in comparison to what I had just come from was beyond my imagination and mm -hmm. that I should be quiet, pay attention and learn. Those are know? good instincts. Yeah. 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 I mean, I had, I had garnered a lot of awards and things in Seattle, but I saw a couple ASCAP awards. That's interesting. I Seattle music awards. I swept those. I had the um, serious XM album of the year. I mean, I was artist of the year for femme music. And so, you know, I just like, I had all this stuff. These are big positioning statements, by the way, if I introduced you that way, right? Like that would be a glitzy yeah. thing. I just showed up in Nashville and, and I'm not saying this to toot a horn. I'm saying this, this to me, this seems like a smarter way to go. I was of service when I arrived, I went and volunteered mm. to places. I listened to what other people had to say. I, I went to uh, songwriting camps to hear mm -hmm. great professional hit writers yeah. talk about the craft. And which I is pretty awesome. Oh, there's nothing like it. It really, yeah. I was, it was, going to college all over again, really. Yeah. And, uh, and it was lovely. And I met wonderful people and little by little. And during that time, you know, I had people say to me, 
And I think this is important to point out. I had people say to me, oh, you'll not get a cut without a publishing deal. Oh, you know, because, you know, I had my own publishing and I was an artist in my own right. Yeah. And, and that rhetoric was being repeated often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I didn't believe that. That wasn't mm-hmm. my story. I didn't take that and say, oh, I'll put that coat on. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I held out and eventually I did, I got major cuts, you know, with my, having my own publishing because mm-hmm. I believed I could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> battle in life is believing that something is possible. Yeah. And for people who don't understand, like, you know, cause I don't get into business mechanics too much, but to understand the idea of keeping your publishing, like how big of a deal is that? It's a big deal. It is a big deal. That isn't to say that some pub deals are fantastic and some publishers will really fight for you. But again, that's giving away half your money. It's the same reason why I didn't do, when I started painting, I didn't do a lot of gallery stuff. I did it all myself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how publishing works these days, but I remember like if you had a publishing deal, you would get a budget, right, to record demos, which is a pretty cool thing. I imagine you had to recoup recoup those expenses, I suppose, was the downside. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, they're hedging their bets more than you are because they're pouring out tons and tons of money that they know in all likelihood they'll never see again. And again, publishers who are doing a great job, who are getting songs heard by artists and and producers, uh, that's wonderful. And... But, you know, the reality is there's so many songs that it's that chicken and egg thing. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So if, let's say, so you're living in Nashville, you're writing, you're co-writing, you, you probably knew people who had publishing deals. Oh, for like, sure. Okay, so how many songs does somebody write in a year? Uh, if they're just doing it. I would say the average songwriter who, like myself, uh, is writing upwards of two songs a day, five days a week. Yeah, so at least like 200 to 400 songs a year. You're probably writing 600 ish. Yeah, I'm trying to be generous. So, like, if I'm somebody who's written five to 20 songs and I think I should be successful now, like, that's what I'm comparing against. myself against. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of songs in the sea for sure. Okay, so I, if, I, if I'm writing six, if I'm writing. Yeah, if I'm writing, so how many have you written? Thousands of songs. Okay, so you've written They're thousands. They're not all good. <laughs> no, and, but this is my, my, just driving it for people who are more on the aspiring end of, of this, right? Like for yes. mindset, right? Like there's a, it's a journey, right? And like how many cuts or mo- songs did you write that have ever brought you money from that process? Very few. And, and also, you never know where a song will end up. Uh, I just had a cut on an artist, uh, a, a young woman named Quinn, and she cut a song mm-hmm. that we wrote four or five years ago. You just, mm-hmm. you never know. And of course, now with streaming and all that, you make tens of cents. Whereas It's not worth what it was <laughs> 10, 20 years even, ago. Yeah. Not even, not even close. Not yeah. even close. Yeah. yeah. Which Unless you're happen. film TV world, I suppose. I think that is the last refuge. Yeah. So it, and that's how I think about it too, the last refuge. And yeah. hopefully it's a growing refuge, right? Yeah, who knows? I've got to figure out how to write songs for books. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, like there's a strange dynamic. So, so I shifted my focus from songwriting to writing books, and that's the world I'm in because it got to the point where, as an artist, I spent more acquiring fans than they would ever pay for my music, right? And mm-hmm. and that at some point, like, okay, math has to have a place in my life, right? And and so writing books, there's still math that works, right? But I still love writing and performing songs. But you think about these things, right? These this idea of refuges. But songwriting is an interesting niche of storytelling in business because it's the only thing that's really federally managed how much you <laughs> make. Yeah. It's totally bizarre. Like for anything, if you're going into something to be rich and famous, I believe you are likely going in with the wrong mindset to start with. Yeah. I think that just the um, reasonable mindset of I could make 50000 a year, how much work that takes. It takes a lot of work. It takes a hustle and you have to be outperforming and, and it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it is not an easy path, the path of an artist. And it's frustrating, I think, for the people that don't understand the artists in their lives, mm. that they think, oh, why don't you have a real job? And the idea is, that, well, I actually have about 12 jobs. You know, yeah, I'm working yeah. constantly. So then, yeah. and I have done the nine to five, and it was lovely to have a real paycheck, but it was soul crushing for me. And I do mm. think that some people, are not, it just doesn't serve them. Some people are great sitting at a desk and having that be their world. But there has to be room for all of us to exist. Yeah. I think think money is like, making money in a day job, it's like a proxy for buying time later to do something. That's a good way to look at it. Environment. And so that means if you want the time right now, you don't need as much money. You're right. And and then I think about health, but health. I think, yeah, you have to be able to pay your health care. You need a roof over your head. Obviously, yeah. you need food and water. If you have children, that's a whole other story. I don't have children. Yeah. But, but the idea that money somehow buys happiness, I, I, I don't know that I believe that adage. I do think people that have money have less worries about certain things. Yeah. But then they bring on a whole new set of worries. Yeah, if you're if you're making money to defer happiness, that's probably not a virtuous cycle. But yeah, my my friend Chuck Cannon calls it the God shaped hole. If you, oh, Chuck. Yeah, oh. if you, if you need to fill yourself up with things, and there's never enough money to buy enough things to make yourself feel good, then there's something else going on. Yeah. You know that yeah. placation. You know. Yeah. Has, I think you have it. to build pretty strong self foundations to be resilient in an art world in the world period in the story yeah but like you but like you're kind of confronted or forced to as like a foundational step of doing that journey and that's kind of a healthy thing yeah and depression does come to artists quite easily i think it is it's not like i don't wake up some days and think why am i doing this am i an insane person (laughs) so but there's joy in that, right? So, like, you've written thousands of songs. Like, how much joy did that buy? Like, how many moments of happiness and contentment? Lovely moments. Lovely moments. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, and 
songs that I really believe in, some songs, silly songs, some dumb, some terrible. Uh, but yeah, those moments of creation are powerful. I'm building my mansion in heaven. Mm. You know, it doesn't necessarily pay the rent, but. Uh, and when somebody responds to something you've created, hmm. man, oh man. And when I'm on a stage and I'm performing, that feeling is th that communion with the audience and, mm -hmm. and myself and whatever you believe to be the thing bigger than you, it's all working in tandem, in my yeah. opinion, at least through me and in me and out of, out of me. That's incredible. Yeah. You, can't, you cannot buy that feeling. Yeah, that's great. And so there's an, that is like an element of it, right? This, this, this desire to connect with others and, and part of our creating is that, right? And I imagine like, it's not always as satisfying as you hope it would be, right? How do you mean? I, I think about like, when, one of the things I realized on stage once is I was sitting there and like, all these people have something to say. And right now it's just one direction. And what I'm actually wanting and what I actually need in this moment is that two-way connection. And I'm investing all my energy on being on the stage and giving one direction. But is it one direction or are you, when it's, you think- There's a certain, yeah, ask your- Well, when, you, when, you're, when you're performing a song, yeah. This is what, I, what gets back to what we talked about in the beginning, like truth of the capital T. When you're performing a song and it comes from a truthful place, mm -hmm. whether or not the people in the audience are responding to the story per se, mm -hmm. they're absolutely responding to the truth of the capital T. Yeah. They're feeling that. And you yeah. then become a, a proxy for a feeling that they may yeah. not know how to articulate. Yeah. And yeah. So you I, may not even realize it. You know, I, I, happening. I Not believe, you, I, no, yeah, and, you know, I, I believe that, but I think the point I was making is I put all my energy being the messenger and not making space to have that uh, reciprocal conversation in general, right? And so it affected the way I show up, right? And in yeah. fact, I had unmet needs in that process of oh, dealing with it. Yeah. Do you think that's a mindset thing that if you were uh, on stage and you were performing and you open to the conduit of having receiving? I don't think the problem was being on stage as such. Okay. I think those moments were fine. It was that I wasn't making space in my life enough I'm... attention. Mm. And so all my energy was focused on those goalposts that were moving mm. and not actually on like meeting my own needs. Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful self-awareness moment to have though right yeah and you know but I, those are things i see a lot of times right it, you know i see it reflected whether i'm just projecting my story or not but sometimes i hear that right it's like mm -hmm. we're putting so much effort into the chasing right sometimes mm -hmm. the moment is, mm, the is dragon. yeah <laughs> yeah. The dragon. yeah he's a powerful beast and ego is like getting feedback. So Nashville and other forums like that, you, you have an opportunity to get feedback. And sometimes it gets really like that kind of feedback that drives you forward and propels you for years. Right. You ever, you ever felt that? I have come to decide that if somebody hates you, that they are in fact passionate about what you're doing. Mm. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. That's an interesting way to look at it. That is, it, it inspired them to the point of frothing at the mouth in your direction. It's like, wow, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to inspire you in such a way. You know, you would hope that it would be more happy and positive and all that, but it's still, you have, you have invoked something within them. You made them feel something and they were paying attention. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a skill. And they're probably, again, it's that thing of if I am angry outward, it's because I can't touch some sort of pain inward. So Mm. the truth of what you're saying is likely touching a truth within them that they just aren't comfortable yet with touching. And so they have to attack. It's very scary to go inside oneself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool now. Like, I love it. But it's a journey. It's a journey. And not everyone, some people are never prepared for it. And, and some people, you know, learn, learn how to get there along the way. And uh, some people for some, in some miraculous way are born with the ability. And it was all, all different levels of that. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, like, you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe we all born with it and then we kind of forget, forget, you know, Mm -hmm. like I have a four and a half year old and we've been very intentional about, you know, not trying to clutter or, you know, toxify that environment and which is a tricky balance, right? You know, but I love four and a half. You said that's such a great But everything she's saying, like she speaks the truth, capital Absolutely. T, right now, and it's yeah. like I'm gonna be so sad if when she forgets that, right? Yeah, that's yeah. such a lovely age. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 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 still having this journey, and you're doing interesting things, and and are you you still dive into your discomfort? You find? Yeah. That's part of what the podcast, you know, I don't just talk to people with whom I have a a reverie with whom I agree with. I I try and talk to people I don't agree with, Mm. not to get into some sort of a a fight, but to have a conversation about things that I don't know or feelings I don't know. I, I say this a lot. I don't know me until I know you because we're just reflecting back at each other. So how do I know what I'm thinking until i know what i'm not thinking mm-hmm. if that makes sense i'm just picturing one of those moments where there's a sound effect in the background <laughs> while you raise the eyebrow bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Dung. and i really enjoy it those are honestly for me those are some of my most uh, delightful conversations with people were uh, where we could not be further from seeing eye to eye yeah that's fun. I, I I don't know if I wish I had more of that or not, but you know, I, I love that you know that about yourself. It's a it's a lot about holding space because yeah. you, you have boundaries like with anything and anyone, and holding space so that they feel like they can say what they have to say, and then yeah. you say what you have to say. It's not an argument. It may be a debate, yeah. but uh, yelling. <laughs> during an interview probably would not go very far <laughs> yeah there's somebody cleaning the awnings there <laughs> um 
I love Bellingham. It's a, it's a tremendous gift to give somebody a space to actually be heard and to reflect that. Yeah. I think it's important. <laughs> All right, you're in Bellingham. You said, I love Bellingham. It's my industry. I am. In, yeah. So you went to college in Bellingham. I, I went to Western. Summer in Bellingham is, in fact, when Nashville summers would be so overwhelming with the humidity and such, I used to go and uh, rent a condo in Fairhaven and spend the summer in Fairhaven chilling out. Mm, that's, that's perfect. I'm just down, I'm like a mile away from Fairhaven right now. I yeah. Love it. The, market, the sun's which, coming out. Everything's probably shut down right now, but it's such a, Bellingham's a great city. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. lovely. It's very inspiring. Yeah. yeah. And so... Some of my best boyfriends have come from Bellingham. <laughs> <laughs> That's a high water mark for Bellingham. <laughs> My wife's from Bellingham. So yeah. I'm very happy with Bellingham. Yeah, it's a good town. Yeah. And so what moving forward, what's next for Susan and Ruth? Uh, all the things. The podcast is still going strong. It's growing exponentially, which is wonderful. And uh, uh, keep painting and I would like to get more into the sketch writing and the mm. comedy writing I've got a screenplay I'm, I'm finishing up I've got a couple of television show ideas so when I'm, I'm trying to put those in a sort of pitchable order you know just <laughs> moving forward whatever what is, that means what does that bring to, bring up for you to be pitching things and writing things for a purpose like like that it's no, I've been like that my whole life. It's, everything yeah. has always been for a purpose. So, yeah. uh, and, and, and stating that I hope this happens. Yeah. But it's fun even if it doesn't happen. It is fun. Yeah. And especially on the projects where I'm writing with someone else. Uh, mm. <laughs> my level five conservatory, uh, there's a woman that I was also taking it or was also in the class and uh, Tiffany L., She's hilarious, and I really enjoy writing with her. And so we're now mm. starting to write some stuff together. Finding mm. a wonderful collaborator mm. is the bomb. It is pretty magical. Have you, have you seen the Middlebitch uh, and Schwartz on Netflix? No. If you like improv, I highly uh, recommend it. Sure. So what? say it again. What is it called? Middlebitch and Schwartz. So okay. Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz. Okay, and, and that's on Netflix. Yes, I've now watched it four times, and I'm delighted every time. It yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. I love. I sometimes I like read song like um, comedy writing books or wow. those exercises because it's very close in a way to songwriting. But you know, it, it's all about truth, capital T, and and I yeah. love hearing people's truth and looking at comedy that way. Right. There was some famous quote, and I can't remember who said it, death is easy, comedy is hard. <laughs> I mean, it, they definitely play up, like, from a marketing angle, that mythology of, like, the depressed comic, right? And, like, they're bleeding on stage for you kind of thing, right? You know? sure. um, so how do you get the support and balance you need to to create and be in that space all the time uh you mean emotionally or yeah yeah uh, 
I would say 97% of the time, I feel very grounded in my choices, my life choices. Uh, I, my, my family is lovely. Mm. They never told, I was the youngest child, so they never told me I couldn't do something. That's cool. uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think my friends, the people who love me, uh, see that this makes me happy. Sometimes they, they say, well, why, why don't you go get a real job? You probably, you know, you could go on a trip to Tahiti. And I think, well, if I was in Tahiti, I'd probably be writing a, you know, I'd be doing what I do. You see what I mean? Wherever you yeah. go, there you are. So, yeah. um, but most of my feelings of being okay with these choices come from myself not from mm. outside influence That's great. and that, that was hard won over time but but here we are <laughs> here we are that's nobody cool. gets to tell me who i am that's my I, story. I, I'm, I, I'm writing the story i'm writing the story of me i'm writing the story of me the story yeah here we are i feel like that's the title of this episode probably <laughs> here we are <laughs> It's very a hey human kind of thing. <laughs> so for people who want to know more about you, how can they find you? So many places. Uh, SusanRuth.com, if you want a general overview of me and mm. my artwork is there as well as music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and HeyHumanPodcast.com mm. to know all about the podcast. And of course, it's on all the podcast places, including Spotify. And uh, yeah, I mean, IMDb. I have an IMDb page for anything acting that I uh, stumble across. And <laughs> that's that's a bit. I'm on all the social media, obviously Facebook, Instagram. I have both Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M, uh, is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then Hey Human Podcast is on facebook and instagram and i try and use different content for all the different places okay sounds like a lot of sounds like a lot of work and yeah but invest in yourself <laughs> yeah so you enjoy you, you you find a way to enjoy i'm not engaging a huge with fan of social media i w- it's a necessary evil in my mind uh mm. and i think eventually you get to be in a place if if you're lucky where you can be like a bill murray that doesn't need social media mm. but uh, but until that day comes, yeah. they are good places to promote yeah. what's happening in my life. Do you have like a mailing list? Do you invest do. in that? I have a mailing list. I send out mailers about every four or five months. I try to keep it interesting. I don't just talk about myself. A little bit I talk about myself, but a lot mm. of it I talk about other things in the world and maybe what some of my friends are doing. And you can sign up for that at susanruth.com. Mm. Also, currently, uh, there's a podcast called Sentinels, Point of No Return. And I am six characters on that serial podcast with some of these uh, just incredible, incredible actors. And it's uh-huh. a sci-fi story. It's so wonderful. You, so it's you're great. acting in that voice? I, I, am. Oh, I that's am. fun. What's it called again? It's called Sentinels Point of No Return. And okay. it's in all the podcast places as well, written and directed by Mike Disa. And the cast is extraordinary. Fantastic. That sounds fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Hey. I love sci fi. Yeah. Hey, I do too. I, yeah. I write sci fi. So it's fun. It's the best. Yeah. All right. Well, Susan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. 
Ethan, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me and for reaching out. I really appreciate it. I don't often get interviewed. It's fun. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.